trending news right now. Let's talk and uh, see what happened in social media in the last 72 hours. Joining us is Atle Rangmulefe, social commentator. How are you today, Atli? Um, hello, Asanda. I'm well, thanks. And how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. How was the weekend? Um, it was okay. And how was yours? It was good. It was okay. Uh, just uh, relaxing. I'm sure you were also relaxing at some parts of it. Yeah, definitely. I did try to relax also. It was also International Day of the Eradication of Poverty yesterday, uh, on Sunday, the 17th of October. How far do you think we are in eradicating poverty, just as maybe Africa? We're very far. Um, I think that even in terms of like the sustainable goals that they've set for the continent, we're actually very far from eradicating poverty because um, governments are not actively doing anything about it. Um, they just think that taking care of just minimal basic necessities is a response to completely eradicating poverty without necessarily have, having policies in place to make sure that we are eradicating poverty. Yeah, and that would have been a great PR point for electioneering campaigns. I don't know why it wasn't as widely used this day. But anyway, let's talk also what happened over the weekend, the crowning of the Miss South Africa 2021. We have a new one. Lalela, our new Miss Essay is Lalela Mswani. <laughs> Beautiful woman, eh? Um, I think this was a great choice. I, I support this one very much as well. When I think as far as the top five, I really looked at her as she could be our Miss, uh, new Miss Essay. So there were nine other finalists uh, that she uh, advanced away from to claim the Miss Essay title. Weren't they usually 12? Uh, I really don't know how it works. I yeah. honestly don't know, but okay. um, I think I know from that from that selection that they pick five, and then after five, it's three. So that's the only part I do understand. But I think before then, I don't know how many that they choose from. So what do you think of our new uh, essay? I, um, I think that um, we're all happy. It's just that the sad part about the pandemic is that we never really get to um, celebrate and we never also really they never really get the platform to you know celebrate themselves and do a lot in terms of um, the initiatives that they do want to create for themselves um, but I think we're all happy that like most she's young firstly but also I think that she does have all the qualities that they do want for Ms. Issa in terms of like being articulate in terms of like being uh, pretty, so I think she does really fit into the criteria that they want. She's 24, and she's from uh, KZN, and she does, I think. She she also has such grace and uh, just moves. I mean, even her, the way she, her, her, what do you call this thing, when the way you stand as a person? Her posture. Yeah, like the posture. Even the, yeah, yeah, I guess that has to do with her being a dancer, so that's, in, you know, mm-hmm. helped her in that way. But she, I think, like, when she walks, she is, like, gliding, hey? She's not really walking when she walks. She's so graceful. <laughs> I love her. That's true. That's definitely true. So she's a dancer and a model also. Uh, what else do we know? I just know that. I really honestly just know that. And she's 24 and, and she's from young, president. Yes, yeah. Yes. She, I think, also has a law degree. Yeah, I think she has a law degree. Uh-huh. That would also explain her intellect because I think she's quite intelligent. She speaks quite well. Really what That's are true. social media peeps saying about her? Um, It's some it's not really people don't think that she um deserved it like people obviously have their own favorite favorite 
Um, and I think that now there was a huge um, discussion around it, whether it was a legitimate win, and many other people also complaining about how, like, what's the point of having other races enter the competition when it's always going to be the same people winning. Um, so I think even others, though, they were really supporting of her, talking about her journey and how she's very articulate and how um, amongst them she really did, you know, stand out. So I think that people will always have their different opinions um, of who they wanted to win. Um, but ultimately, like the person who did the most will definitely win the competition. Yeah, I, I think she deserved it. So those who are against, I mean, some of the voices, are they uh, saying that it should not have been a black winner this year? Yes, um, they think that they are really tired of um, the the black woman narrative that has, has that that is the, that they constantly see at play. The fact that now, what's the point of any other woman who's not black to enter the competition? There's no incentive because even when they do enter, um, they have already picked the winner. They want the winner to be a black woman, so there's really no reason for them to be entering the competition next year. Well, I mean, if we look at the top five, there were two white uh, uh, contestants there and then three black. But because of the question session, I think that's when, you know, the, the top three black girls did better in terms of their responses. Mm. I mean, I, I really think that's what it was. I honestly were, were looking at um, the, the entire top five as being candidates for even the Miss Universe. Because when you judge, I guess, for Miss Essay, you have to look at if this person will also do well on the international platform on pageants. Mm. They, they did fit. But then when it came to the questions, that's where the, the, the three black girls seemed to be top even for me. That's true. I think people miss that point. Um, people think that um, we, it's, it's not inclusive of how they're able to articulate because in, on, in the world stage, to be honest, they're going to be asked very you know, difficult questions and they need to show that they can engage and that you know, they're well-rounded. And I think even the selection itself um, lies on that. They want to see if you can represent South Africa well, like in the world stage. So I do think that, like, even when people are saying that they're tired of the black black woman narrative, um, it's a bit unfair because it's a competition, and if it's the same people that are winning constantly, then I don't I don't think that's really a problem. Yeah, and then she does look different. I mean, from the previous winners, I think uh, Shudufazo had you know a, a different look, completely different look. She had a short hair, a brush cut from this current one who's got uh, some long hair and she had styled it in a bun. And before that, Zozi, Zozabini was also a different look. She had uh, natural hair, short hair as well. But uh, anyway, I don't know. Each to their own, I suppose. Uh, Her final statement was about unemployment and the unemployment rate. And she was saying that uh, young people are mostly affected. And as a Miss Essay, she wants to use her platform to shine the light on this issue. What do you think of her words there? Um, I think she was very strategic about um, the stance that she took because usually people take, um, you know, personal stuff. Like I want um, men to to uh, to look at mental health issues, or um, I think the social issue that she chose about unemployment is um, very. In, I think it's interesting. Now it's just a matter of actually putting in the work and trying to see how like her words can be translated into reality, like the kinds of things that she wants to see and how she aims to do those things. So I think she was very strategic in terms of the social issue that she has chosen, especially looking at the fact that the stats 
um, you know, every time when we see stats, we see that a lot of young people are actually unemployed. So yeah. um, I think that the topic is centered around young people. Now it's just a matter of making sure that she does put in the work to, um, you know, change that and to actually make the reality. And the prize package is like worth four million rand this year. She gets one million in cash as well as other things. That's a nice package that she's going to be walking away with. That's true. I, I, I think that every single year they they really they try to make it like better than the last year. Yeah, well, our time is uh, quarter past four. If you've just joined us here on uh, SFM, this is Sound Awake discussing trending topics with uh, Atlehang Mulefe, our social commentator. Let's talk House of BNG now. Uh, Bonang Mateba also being in the middle of this now. She's embroiled in this uh, deal over her sparkling wine brand, House of BNG, also involving her former agency. We were talking about it last week that she's left as the CSA Global, uh, the management group. How does this relate now? How, how does her agency relate to her wine brand? Um, I think now it's a, a quite a huge controversy on the basis that we all thought that she, it was her, it, it is her brand, but also recently found out that she's a shareholder and she's just the face of the brand. Um, but the problem at the moment is that they want to cut ties with her. So that means a lot of things for her. Firstly, it just means that um, she is going to lose money. And the assumption that they're making is that... Um, she um, she gains a lot more than they do um, as a business, and this is why they want to, you know, they're cutting ties and stuff like that. But I think the agency itself is now put up in the middle. I think they're going to try and, you know, fight the whole thing. But I also do think that um, uh, both parties do a lot if, this, um, if they don't decide to go as a collective, basically. So who does House of BNG for her? Who are the vineyards? So the people that actually do, and I was quite surprised about it because it's actually, you know, it's white people were actually It's just, uh, you know, very old, um, rich white people who do everything, and she's just like the same brand, and she's a shareholder in the brand itself. But um, and we all thought that she was actually the person who's, you know, on top of everything. Like she has it. It's it's her. It's, everything belongs to her. And it was actually quite surprising that uh, she might even lose it. But I see that a lot of fans are actually supporting her. And um, they're also saying that should the House of BNG still continue um, exclusively, um, they're not going to buy anything because the reason why they were actually buying the brand itself is because of Bonap. Mm. So now we just have to um, wait and see because even when she was unpacking the whole thing, I think for me personally, I just felt like this is a... Uh, a situation where someone didn't really read the terms and conditions of the contract because the way in which they're disclosing something, I just feel like she wasn't quite aware of a lot of things that she signed up for. I mean, also business is business. Whether you are the middleman, whether you are the face of it, whether yeah. you you take a label from somewhere in a bottle in another place and you take the wine also from a third different place, it's still business, or, or even if you are the producer of that product or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So what will this mean for her business? Um, this means, I think this means a lot, because even when I was thinking about it yesterday, um, she's definitely going to lose, because BNG was one of her biggest bags. And even um, the people that she was working with, um, there for BNG and stuff, they were making 
quite a lot of money, like quite a lot of money for a, uh, a champagne that only started recently. So it's going to obviously mean a lot for her in terms of her pockets and also just using her rights as a shareholder. I think this is really just going to affect her a lot, but more so, um, I think, even affecting the public as well because now it's, um, should we still buy, even though you are not no longer going to be, you know, the face of everything, or should we now stop? So it's, 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 it's just a very, people are in conflicted situations at the moment. Well, I mean, if they are a vineyard already, they must be producing other bottles. They're still going to make their money. They can just discontinue with the, yeah, the, yeah. the house of BNG and, and life goes on for them. But as you say, for her, Bonang, it's going to be quite a hit. So her former then um, agency, CSA, we know the matter that they had between them uh, in terms of just, you know, accusations there, criminal conduct being cited as well from her side. Mm-hmm. And then from their side, uh, CSA saying that she had uh, not uh, showed up for certain... Uh, bookings and contractual issues uh, uh, going on. They're saying they're going to see her in court. So that's still mm-hmm. ongoing. Um, we don't know how that's going to end. But we know that CSA has also represented other Africans. Nigerian musician Dibanj. Mm-hmm. Have we heard anything from him talking about them and what their reputation is? No. Um, Do you think we should? Yeah. I mean, we can give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think how it's looking at the moment... Um, I think legally, if we if we think about it and if we unpack everything, um, she doesn't really stand a chance. Like when we talk like legally, but I think um, that we can just be optimistic at the moment, honestly. Yeah, she's seeing flames. I hope this whole thing gets sorted. Yeah. Uh, we don't need stress like this anyway. There's also something around the Twitter handles, uh, the Twitter account of uh, House of BNG, and who is the one who's allowed to post there and who's not allowed to. What's going on there? Um, I think that conversation I didn't really quite catch it. I think most part, the, like the just like the little bit of it was um, the fact that um, there is definitely someone who is running the account and someone who has access to the account, which for me is quite confusing because I honestly didn't um, understand how everything plays out until this predicament uh, actually happened because you would swear that the person who was running the account is also, like, you know, the face of PMG herself, but, like, it's not. And now when you also, you know, cut ties and everything like that, it also does affect, um, in terms, I think, in terms of, like, followers, because now mm. people were following the page based on this, and now that um, they've decided to actually remove her or in the, in the process of removing her, then it also does affect the account itself. Okay, let's talk hashtag MKVMA now, the disbanded military veterans organization. They're calling for those 56 who are arrested uh, to be released. So last week there was the whole drama on Thursday where two ministers and a deputy were allegedly held hostage by the military veterans at a hotel in Pretoria. Subsequently, 56 people got arrested. Now they're calling for these to be released. I really don't understand. And this is definitely, it has a lot to it because... How can you now want for people who to be released when those were the same people who um, did, you know, they, they, they were holding hostage like some of the most uh, prominent and uh, people in the country, especially ministers. So I think it just has a lot to, to do, like it has a lot to say. Um, I think that now we're starting to question the credibility of everyone. Um, for example, mm-hmm. even the veterans themselves were questioning their credibility. Was it them who actually... Um, orchestrated the whole thing and what intentions did they have and 
Um, also, even on the second part, was it actually a genuine concern that they were held hostage or was it something that was planned just for publicity stunts? So I think that we have a lot of questions around it because how can you want for people to be released when those people wanted to cause harm to like three most important people in the country? And we're saying allegedly because they're still to appear in court, they're appearing today, even though yeah. there is footage and statements, but we can't, you know, just confirm that until the law says what it is. Why not wait then until uh, tomorrow or after their appearance in jail, I mean, in court today? Um, that's the thing. I think it's just out of fear of them being held to account. Maybe they may be found guilty and then they have to, you know, serve their sentence or anything like that. So I think that the military veterans are basically trying to save them from that, uh, from also just appearing in court. They just want them to be released and, and that's it. Are they not concerned about the law of the country, the MKMVA? I think at the moment they don't really care. Um, it's just a matter of knowing that justice can always be twisted for one's liking, and that's exactly what they would like to see happen. What about, I mean, the demand uh, before this whole drama unfolded were that they wanted millions in reparations for their role in the anti-apartheid struggle. What, what do we um, make of that? I mean, we, we know there's so many individuals as well in their capacities who were part of the anti-apartheid struggle, mm-hmm. but didn't come and say we want to be uh, re- reparated. We did this because we needed to. It was part of our purpose, and we basically, you know, um, dedicated our lives to it, and we don't necessarily feel any ownership of anything. Um, I think it also speaks a lot to that because maybe on the basis that they're not necessarily getting all the things that they want, then it means that they can, you know, try other avenues like what they did now to just, um, you know, make a statement or to uh, make sure that they're able, they they get what is due to them. Because I think that even though they were patriotic at that time, um, they just like did a lot in terms of um, ensuring state security and everything. Um, And therefore, like they do deserve the cut, even though they were patriotic, because they had to sacrifice their lives, obviously. So I think that now it's, it's, it's a matter of the fact that they're not really getting what they want. I think it's just sending message across and making sure that they are able to show the government that if they don't get what they want, then something might happen. So now it's just that we're, we're now questioning if they were actually um, orchestrated the whole thing that happened based on that. What do you make of Carl Niehaus's uh, statement, saying uh, that the former MKMVA uh, spokesperson, saying that he's blaming this whole thing on the disbanding of structures uh, in terms of how frustrated the military veterans are feeling uh, because they also feel like they are leaderless. What about the defense ministry? Is that not their leadership? I think it is their leadership, but also even in, term, in terms of veterans themselves, um, I think that now they want so much you know, protection, which is justified, but to some extent they also need to understand that um, it's just not how things work in the country itself. And now when they are trying to dictate everything, and sure, they are frustrated, but I do think that there are other ways of releasing or expressing that kind of frustration as opposed to now making it seem like they deserve protection the most and therefore they need to be treated differently from everyone. Because already they do have um, so many, um, they do have access to so many things that not like ordinary citizens have access to. 
So I think that now, even though they're saying that they're frustrated about this whole thing, um, I, I just don't think that we need to be, they now need to be, you know, wanting to be prioritized over and above everyone. Is this entire saga government's fault or is it the fault of military veterans who feel entitled? Um, I think it's both. I think um, in terms of government, it's them feeling like they don't want to hear their voices and they don't want to give them space to express themselves. And therefore, it it looks like the government doesn't really care about them. Uh, But also it can be also in the hands of the military veterans that sort of entitlement that because they were patriotic, they were serving the nation, um, therefore they're entitled to specific things. Um, so I think depending on the terms of the contract of when you enter into that space, whether or not can you still be entitled to those things even when you're not part of it anymore. Uh, Carl Niehaus also saying that the events that unfolded with this drama were not that of a hostage situation and that the group were just frustrated there was no violence or threat to the lives of the ministers and deputy minister at any stage. Were they not armed? Um, I think that they were, like, there were harms to those people. And this is why every, everyone was actually scared that how can a whole minister be held hostage? Like, wh- where was security or why didn't they get that sort of protection? I'm sure they were armed. I don't think that they would just enter into that space as people just trying to have a chat. So why are we so not the fact that they were held hostage. Yeah, so how is this not a threat to anyone's life then? And no no violence. I mean, a gun, just the visual, is violent to me. But are they allowed to carry weapons when they are not on duty? The MK, uh, the, the military veterans? I think, I, I don't, I personally don't think that they should. Because <clears throat> yeah. I think that, um, but also in the same way when they're not on duty, a person threatened at all times. That's just how it is. I think that's the most dangerous thing about just that kind of patriotism because at any moment you feel like you are threatened because that was your constant life. And even when you're not on duty, you just really think that someone is coming for you and you need to protect yourself. Mm. Bongani on uh, WhatsApp is saying, uh, Morning Asanda, the ANC must not fool us. Confrontation is not hostage. They must give former freedom fighter soldiers their benefits. So let's end it on that uh, comment then from one of our listeners and we'll see what happens today in court. Uh, hashtag Kailami then, the local racetrack, uh, they are bidding for the 2023 spot in the F1 circuit. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, I think that we're all quite excited to also happen again and um, I think that even the process itself, um, it's quite exciting. I mean, I'm not... Um, um, an F1 fanatic as such, but I think that the sport itself has a lot of um, reputation. So I think we do hope that the bidding process also goes successfully and that um, it, it obviously goes to the people that want to win. I think everyone is actually um, quite excited about it. Two years. Are we ready? 2023 is here now now. I mean, I think we are. Um, just looking at the area itself and the infrastructure, I think that they do have the capacity to actually host it. I'm, and we've hosted really before, though, as well. In 1993, the South African Grand Prix was held there in, in Kailami, and uh, that French driver who's now retired, Elaine Prost, uh, won. So maybe we are ready. Yeah, definitely. I think for that sport, we, are. We, we can say that we are. And for our tourism, it would be, it would, uh, be a great thing anyway. We need the money. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Okay. So next year they're saying they're going to discuss this opportunity 
to bring uh, F1 uh, back to South Africa after 1993. And uh, we'll see how that goes as well. Something to follow. Hashtag Oscar Mabuyane. Let's end it on this now. The Eastern Cape Premier saying that the public needs to be protected from the public protector. He's coming against the public protector, Busisiwe uh, Mkwebane. Why? Um, I think on like just two bases, um, I think that um, he feels like she's not really representing um, the public. And now, and I think that has always been an ongoing conversation. The fact that are you doing things out of like, you know, the interest and what is best for society or the public? Or are you just protecting the people in positions of power? So I think that's the difficult job about being a public protector. The fact that We've also raised the standard. We want everyone to be like our previous public protector. So now it's difficult to um, you know, navigate a world where we do have a different one. So I think at the moment, um, it's, it's, a, it's a very, I think it's the, the concern itself is very legitimate. And also, we all think that the public should be protected from the public protector because what is she doing at the moment? What, what, what is she currently doing? And is she protecting the people? And... The fact that now it feels like she's not, and she's not really disclosing some of the information, mm. then the public does need to be protected from the public protector. So, I mean, this is all because Mkwebane implicated Mabuyane and uh, mm. also Baba Lomatikizela, the ANC provincial treasurer, and uh, also Public Works MEC in the province in uh, corruption, reporting that about 1.1 million rand which was meant for the memorial service of the late struggle stalwart Winnie Matigizela Mandela, uh, was used here for by these politicians instead of going straight to that memorial service. He's saying then, Mabuyane, that he's approached the High Court to block the Hawks' investigation in terms of these allegations. So why block the investigation then and not allow it to clear your name if you claim that you are innocent? That's also the thing, the fact that, like, She's not. She doesn't want to disclose information, but also at the same time, um, I think that she can see that if she doesn't block it, then she might be held to account uh, for that. Or maybe if she's she's saying that she's innocent, um, chances are if she wants to block it, then there's definitely a lot more that she has to explain in terms of this because she can't even be found guilty of it. Mm. And uh, Umabuyan yeah. going on to say uh, that um, Mkwebane is creating a wind. And this is ultimately going to turn into a tornado and backfire on her. Is this a threat? Mm, I think that it is definitely a threat. Because I remember even the first time when she was not held to account and when she was not found guilty. So I think that it, it definitely it sounds like a threat. Like someone who's saying that, you know, something is going to happen. So now those threats themselves are not doing any justice to the whole predicament. I think that it, more so they're doing worse because he can definitely say that her sense of security is compromised and therefore she doesn't want this to continue or she doesn't want to be associated with specific people based on the, those threats. Mm. And, and out of that 1.1 million rand, according to the public protector's report, only 288,000 rand of the, those funds were paid into the ANC's fundraising account. And the rest of it, uh, we don't know, you know why they are not what accounting happened? for. Yeah. But uh, let's leave it there for, for today, for this Monday. Uh, Atlehang, thank you so much for joining us. Happy Monday to you. What are your plans thank this you week? So much. Uh, nothing, I, nothing, honestly. I just have to, nothing besides going to work. Okay. But we'll see on the weekend what, what happens.
All right. Okay. Thanks yeah. for joining us. No here. problem. Thank you so Have much. Have a great one. Atlakang Malefe, social commentator, discussing what's happened in terms of social media, looking at the last 72 hours as it is uh, Monday. Uh, our time now is 4.34. Here is Ambuyo Sebenza by The Soil, featuring Lady Smith Black Mambazo, which is the time eh, of Ambuyo Sebenza if you uh, need to get ready early. It's 4.35.